Today's podcast is brought to you by the good folks at CBDMD.com. The holidays are finally behind us, which means it's time to catch up on some much-needed sleep. And even though getting a good night's sleep is much easier said than done, our good friends at CBDMD have exactly what you need to sleep harder than the NBA media is sleeping on Hawks forward DeAndre Hunter. CBD PM blends 500 milligrams of high-quality CBD with melatonin, valerian root, chamomile, and other sleep-promoting ingredients to create a powerful and effective sleep aid. And if you want to relax a little bit before bed, their new CBD bath salts fuse superior CBD with Epsom, Dead Sea, and Himalayan salts to turn any bath into a luxury experience. And they're also available in lavender or eucalyptus scents, as well as a soothing nighttime blend with melatonin and calming herbs. CBDMD is helping me relax all on my own and shedding some holiday stress, so it's always reliable. It's something that I desperately need after working multiple jobs throughout the day. And to make it even easier to get the year started off right, they're offering all of our listeners a 20% off on the next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that is cbdmd.com, promo code NBA for 20% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team Every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 913 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday, and the Atlanta Hawks have played 13 games. Almost 20% of the season, about 18% of the season so far. So uh, here we are to talk about that and uh, as well as preview the game coming up today. And I am joined later on by Zach Hood of Peachtree Hoops, Hawks Film Room, etc. And we had a interesting conversation about a couple things that have been happening with the Hawks. But first, some news and things to get to. Um, some game preview stuff going into Wednesday as the Hawks take on the Detroit Pistons. Um, the injury report came out earlier this evening on Tuesday, and no huge surprises for Atlanta. Still, there are some names that you want to be keeping an eye on in the next hours. Uh, DeAndre Hunter and Trey Young, both listed as probable, with right knee soreness for Hunter and right heel soreness for Trey Young. Both guys probable usually means that they're, that they're likely to play. Um, it's worth noting that Trey Young's actually been probable with a wrist injury and back tightness in the last week or so, so some interesting sort of various maladies there for Trey. Not too serious, it appears at this point in time, but keep an eye on those guys. And then Cam Reddish is listed officially as questionable with the same left knee contusion that caused him to miss the last two games for Atlanta. It goes without saying, but the Hawks do need Cam to get healthy, especially defensively. They're going to need him, um, especially when the, when the schedule tightens beginning next week, or at least actually into the weekend here. But we'll keep an eye on him as the situation continues between now and tip-off on Wednesday. Um, also, just some updates from practice on the injury front. I uh, I actually asked about, about Rajon Rondo, so we'll start with him first. I asked Lloyd Pierce on Tuesday about Rondo's status. Of course, he's not, he's not on the injury report right now, but he's been a pretty limited player in the last three games since he returned from the injury-related absence. So you'll hear my question, and this is what Pierce had to say in response. I know you had Rondo back the last three games, but obviously easing him in a little bit. What, what's his physical status? How is he sort of coming along at this point? He's fine. Um, you know, the whole the whole concern with Rondo was just his comfort level uh, to get back on the court. He didn't want to start and stop. Uh, it's my job to evaluate, you know, how I think he looks out there uh, to make sure we don't overdo it. He doesn't overdo it. I want to keep him on the floor and I want to keep him from having to take three games off and then come back. 
And so we have to ease him into it. You know, I, I think getting him some stretches, we try to get him usually two good stretches per game. I think I only got him one uh, last game. Uh, but I just felt BG was going a little bit yesterday and like what he was doing defensively on D'Angelo Russell, and we decided to go that way. But I think he feels fine. You know, lateral movement is great for him, uh, up and down, I should say. He, he's still trying to get stronger with, you know, some stop and go and some lateral movement. But uh, physically, he's fine. He's leading our guys. Um, we're putting him in some spots that I think he can be successful offensively. Um, but we'll get him going. We're going to need him to get going as well. A few folks asked about Rondo after he did not play in the second half on Monday evening, and my interest was also piqued by that, so I figured I would ask, and you hear there, obviously not worried about Rondo's physical status, but worth keeping an eye on him and see how much he plays, and good ones come on as well for the Hawks, so that, that was kind of a revealing answer from Lloyd Pierce. And then the more pressing issue injury-wise is Danilo Gallinari, who was listed as doubtful on Monday, then he did not play, and then today he's just listed as out. So I'm not sure if that's a step a setback or anything like that, but um, before the injury report came out on Tuesday, Pierce was asked about Gallinari's status, and this is what he had to say about the veteran big man. Um, I know that the past few days Gal has been able to do contact work. Um, how, how has he looked, and do you anticipate him being able to rejoin yeah. the guys? He's done, he's done court work. He hasn't done contact. Um, you know, he was with our guys today doing court work, but we didn't do much contact. I don't know. We, we, we did, you know, some stuff through some coaches. Um, guys are tired today. I can say that. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a tremendous up and down physical high paced day. Guys are tired, um, but he was out there and he's moving well, he's moving better, but there wasn't, there wasn't contact. So I, you know, I don't know from a timeline standpoint, I know he's closer. I know he's feeling good. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get him some contact. We'll get him some opportunities, but he's just trying to find as much comfort comfort throughout the day in the work, whatever work he's doing, just trusting the ankle. So Gallinari is getting closer, undeniably, uh, inching towards a return, but uh, you hear Pierce say they, they have not been doing contact just yet with him. So I'm not sure if that means he'll be available on Friday or Sunday, et cetera. But he is out for Wednesday, and the Hawks do need him big time on the offensive end of the floor. So we'll see what the progress is on that. Last thing before we get to a break and then bring in Zach for the rest of the podcast. Um, the Hawks are listed currently by our friends at BetOnline.ag as six-point favorites over the Pistons on Wednesday. The Pistons are not very good. Uh, that's worth saying out loud. They are 3-10. and 10. They became the first team to have d- d- 10 losses this season. Granted, their numbers on the peripheral side, their, more, you know, their net rating, etc., are not quite as bad as that, but they are certainly not a good basketball team. Jeremy Grant's playing great um, for, for Detroit after arriving from Denver. But sort of just roster-wise, the Hawks are the better team on Wednesday and the same situation as Monday. I will say Detroit is better in their current form than Minnesota was on Monday. So the Hawks have to be a little bit better than they were on Monday to win this game. But the same sort of sentiment applies. If the Hawks play well, they should win. And honestly, this is a game that the Hawks need to take care of business and get a W in. So that's sort of the backdrop. They're six-point favorites. And uh, there you go on that. But we'll obviously be back after the game with uh, much more on what transpires and stay tuned as always for that next episode of the podcast, which will be coming to your feed on Wednesday evening into Thursday morning. Okay. Before we get to Zach, a word from our friends at betonline.ag. The NFL season is winding down with only a few teams still alive in pursuit of this year's championship. There is plenty to discuss. And with that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered one place that we trust. And that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at Alana AG and use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with the site. 
On top of the NBA getting geared up as the regular season rolls on with great matchups on a nightly basis, there's dozens of college basketball games each and every night, hockey games ramping up, and much, much more. From there, the NFL playoffs are still in the center of the frame with two conference championship games this coming week, and the big game for all of the marbles to follow after that. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings for Battle Online on any sport you can think of. Battle Online also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering options, a ton of future bets, and even the weirder offerings that diehards always seem to love. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action, and do not forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit with the site. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus. But online, your online sportsbook experts. I'm joined now by Zach Hood, good friend of the program. And Zach, thank you for rejoining me on the podcast. Appreciate you having me on, man. It's uh, been a minute, but uh, ready to go. It has been. You have your own podcast, which I will let you plug uh, at various points on this show, which I, I try not to ask you to come on too much. But alas, here we are. Um, I'll ask you about a couple guys later on individually, but I want to start with the offense. Um, the Hawks, of course, had the 4-1 start that everyone knows about at this point, And since then... They're actually scoring only 102.4 points per, per 100 possessions, which is really bad. Um, granted, there's some noise in there, injuries and all that stuff, but for a seven-game sample, it's it's not nothing, and the Hawks have kind of struggled to score. So I guess I'll ask you how much you're worried about the offense because, as we all know, if the Hawks are going to be like capital G good this season, they have to be good on offense, and right now they haven't been for a while. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of it, um, I really don't know if I'm worried or not because a lot of it I think has just been um, Trey hasn't been like clicking on all cylinders I guess and um, while he's still putting up you know pretty good I think he's still averaging like you know 24 and 8 or maybe maybe it's like 22 and 8 or something after yesterday but I don't know I mean I'm not like like worried worried like oh the Hawks don't have a good offense but I mean like you said it's it's been 12 games or so. It's getting to that point, or 13 games. It's it's getting to that point where, like, it's not just a handful of games anymore. And um, you you have to start to wonder, you know, is Trey going to be able to sustain, like, I guess what have mostly been, you know, hot streaks throughout his career for, like, if you were to watch the first five games and that's all you'd ever seen of Trey Young, you'd be like, wow, you know, this guy's MVP, uh, top five MVP at least and if you watch the next five games you know you might think there's been a couple games where honestly he, he might have been the worst starter and uh, yesterday with Kevin Herter having a great game uh, yeah I think that's, that was true on Monday honestly I think I mean yeah I know our, our friend Graham Chappell wrote that at Peace Troops people got a little bit upset about it and I was like guys if you watch the game it's not saying that he's the worst player of those guys long term but if you watch that game alone take out a couple of uh, little hot spells that he had like overall if you factor in defense, all four of the other guys played well, and he really didn't play that well. So there you go. Yeah, and I mean, it's still, if you look at, I mean, the season, he still has the second highest uh, net rating on the team, at least according to Cleaning the Glass, which is, you know, he's at plus 9.9, .9 and Collins, Collins is at plus 19.3. I, <laughs> I know you tweeted something um, not yeah. that exact. Yeah, exact I, had, I had the NBA.com stats, which are like yeah. the actual raw numbers, but Trey's also number two in, in those as well. This is not, they're not quite as uh, robust for either of them, but Trey, uh, the Hawks are still better when Trey plays. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not to say anything, you know, negative about Trey. It's just he hasn't been playing his best lately. And at some point, you have to start to wonder is it the lineup construction? Uh, with two bigs, I guess, and a little bit less spacing, is it 
Uh, and something else, I mean, he's just been missing a lot of his floaters. I think Andrew Kelly tweeted out, you know, the advanced exact numbers on that, where his runners have been, like, significantly worse. He's went from, you know, um, 100 percentile in attempts and, like, 80th percentile in efficiency to, like, he's still way up there in attempts, but now he's, like, 30th percentile in efficiency, at least, you know, to this point. And obviously, you got to expect, just like if he was shooting 60% on runners, you would expect regression. He's shooting around 30%. You're going to expect improvement. But it is a little bit, you know, getting to that point where it's been, you know, 13 out of 72 games. Uh, he's running, I want to say he's running out of time, but, you know, the longer this slump prolongs, the harder it's going to be to pick those percentages up, I guess. So I don't know pinpointing it i don't know if like you like i said i don't know if it's more just like having two bigs on the court um which yeah you know obviously that's not the case all the time but uh it seems like he's he's struggled a little bit as far as like fitting everything together and i also think gallo being out i think him and gallo had like a great chemistry and he was just now you know he was getting used to that and then you take gallo away and really other others and bogdanovich i mean not everyone has been shooting well, I guess. Herter, the volume is hit or miss. I mean, usually he's pretty accurate, but he doesn't always get his shots up. And then outside of that, I mean, you got Collins and Hunter have been really the only, you know, reliable scorers on the team. So I think he's just drawing a lot of attention. And I would say I'm moderately worried, I guess. Yeah, I think that's all reasonable. And I think the thing that you stuck in there is something I've said before, but it can't be overstated. Like, they're playing without Gallinari and Bogdanovich right now, and particularly Gallinari for really the entire season. And that is not going to fix everything when they come back. But if you look at it, coming into the season, I would have told you those guys were like number three and four on the team offensively. Certainly two of the top five offensive players on the team. So to have those guys not be there, um, not have their shooting, not have their secondary creation, that all filters down, makes life more difficult than everybody else. Now, some of that's been mitigated by the emergence of DeAndre Hunter, which is good, and we'll talk about him in a second. But you, you talked about Trey. Trey's still been able to maintain like reasonable efficiency. I think he has a 55% true shooting right now for the season, which is kind of hilarious because he's shooting sub 40% from the field and 27% from three. But because he gets the line so often, it really helps. But even then, the last nine games, this is really kind of jarring. Trey's shooting 33% from the floor and 24% from three in the last nine. And... It's never going to stay that bad. He's just he's too good to have the numbers be that bad. So that that's kind of a positive thing overall in that the offense has not been good, but it's clearly he's going to be better than that. But in terms of the offense, you know, after five games, everybody's talking about them as a top five offense, and I thought they had a chance to get to that level preseason if everything went perfectly, and it was going perfectly early on with the way that Trey was playing and all that. I think that they are going to be a good offense still. My question, though with regard to the big picture and the rest of the season is that the Hawks probably need to be a top 10 offense, maybe a top like eight offense to actually like reach their realistic sort of high end goals. And that is no longer like it was never safe, but it's, it's going to be harder for them to get there based on what they've done so far, especially if, you know, Gallinari takes a while to come back or if they have more injuries and all that stuff. So I'm, I've said a lot to say nothing there, but it's just one, it's one of those things where they're going to be good. I'm still confident in that. It's just how good they are. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Trey is not going to shoot 39% from the field. I mean, he's even better than that as a rookie. Like, And then from two, especially, like, I mean, obviously, that's most of um, – at least half of those shots are probably um, – at least the non-rim shots are the runners. 
And from two, he's only shooting 44%, which would also be a career low. So I'm not overly um, panicking about Trey. I, I just can't really figure it out. I don't know. I mean, he probably would tell you the same thing. I mean, he's made shots his whole life, and they're just not going in right now. So I don't know what else to say about that. But as far as the rest of the construction, um, I think actually – as far as like the defense, I think it's going to be a little better than we thought. And so the offense being a little worse than we thought, maybe it still balances out where they're like a 35, 36 win team, like a lot of people projected. And obviously that a lot of that depends on, you know, guys staying healthy, especially Collins and Capella. But I do think, you know, with Collins and Capella on the floor, you have the ability and especially, you know, with DeAndre Hunter playing the three, and even you could slide him up to the two if you want to put someone like Solomon Hill or Tony Snell in. They kind of have the ability to be like really big. And then if they want to have, you know, in the non-trade minutes, they can have Herder or Reddish running point, you know, per se. And they can be like huge, like, you know, kind of like Milwaukee big. And I think that's something we didn't really like talk about enough coming into the season is like how and not to mention, you know, Chris Dunn is going to be back at some point too. I think they could end up being like, 14th in offense and 16th in defense and and that's probably good enough to be the seven or eight seed in the east yeah i think that's that's true it's just one of those things where we have to, we have to see where the, where the levels actually sort of flatten out um i'm gonna ask you about hunter as you brought up in a second and also collins uh, momentarily but first a word from the good folks at built bar I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case, but also the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic and they continue to be so, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course my personal favorite, and cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code Locked On when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code Locked On for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. All right, Zach, uh, you mentioned Hunter. Let's talk about him for a second. Obviously, he's been a topic of conversation across the internet. I know Chris Kirster wrote about him. Um, I believe it was earlier today. I, I There was questions to Lloyd Pierce today about Hunter. He's been probably story number one on, on the positive side for the team this season uh, as he's sort of having a breakout. He's second on the team in scoring, almost 17 points a game. His efficiency has been off the charts, um, 64% true shooting so far. Probably a little bit unsustainable in terms of how good it's been because that's just good for anybody, but the overall takeaway is that he's been basically better at everything this season. Defensive rebounding, uh, block rates up, turnover rates, turnover rates down, usage is up, all these things. So what have you seen from him? Uh, what do you take away from this? And uh, yeah, I guess the long-term question is how much uh, this is going to sustain. Yeah, the efficiency is going to be hard to sustain. I mean, he's flirting with 50-40-90. He's at 50 percent field goal 40 percent three and 87 or 86 and a half percent from free throw and this earlier in the season i mean it's not that hard to go up on your free throws you go eight for eight you know one game and he's going to be close to 90 or at 90 so yeah i don't think he's going to be a 50 40 90 player in the second season but he kind of doesn't 
typically take bad shots. So it's not like shocking that he's efficient. Um, it is pretty surprising that he's came out and averaged almost 17 points a game. But I honestly think like I don't see any reason. I mean, the volume at least. I mean, he's, he's only taken 11 shots per game and about five threes per game. So I, I don't know if he'll be this efficient, but I, I do kind of expect the confidence that he's shown to continue, and I expect him to be like a big part of what they're trying to do. So I uh, I really do believe in it. I just, you know, obviously the, the exact percentages are, are pretty crazy and, you know, maybe not quite sustainable. Yeah, I agree. And it's kind of funny and interesting so far, at least this season. Uh, there are some people that we know well. Um, I will mention them now, one of which is Andrew Kelly, like you said earlier. I think Glenn Willis has been on DeAndre Hunter Island for a long time. There's been this thought process out there that I actually think is maybe accurate, that he's actually better offensively than defensively as a prospect. And last season, I was saying that a lot on this podcast. Like, I know he was defense first prospect, but he was actually better on offense in his rookie season. That's still the case now. Um, I think he's improved defensively as well this year, which is certainly notable. He still has a reputation on that end of the floor, but he's now been better for a year and uh, I guess 1.16 seasons. He's been better offensively than defensively, which is kind of interesting consider- considering his reputation and all that stuff. You know, how good he can be offensively is up for debate, certainly. I don't think he's going to be a primary like the Kawhi comp- comps that you see from Hawks fans every once in a while are a little bit out of control, but I think he's definitely proven to the extent that you can prove something through 12 games and one rookie season, that he's going to be a solid to good offensive player. And if you combine that with what they actually drafted him to be, which is this big, strong, 6'8", multifaceted defender, that's one heck of a two-way player. Even if he's going to regress a little bit with the shooting percentages, he has a more varied game now. He's been more aggressive. He's finishing better at the rim. He's been taking the ball off the dribble much more effectively. Like, he's kind of one of those guys that, you know, role player has a stigma to it and not in a bad way for me. I I like role players, but he has the profile of potentially being like a really, really, really high end role player, meaning that he isn't going to be your your number one option on offense, but if he can be your, your number three option on offense and also be a really good wing forward defender, that's like a $20 million plus player per season. And we're looking a long way away now, but the way that he's playing so far this year has kind of been that guy. No, yeah, I mean, he has been the Hawks' third best player, especially when you consider, like, Gallinari and Bogdanovich um, never got... Well, Gallinari was actually playing pretty well, but he got hurt, and then Bogdanovich wasn't really um, exactly hitting on all cylinders when he went down. So he's easily, you know, been the Hawks... Well, I, I want to say easily compellers right there, too, but uh, it's just hard to compare, you know, someone like a yeah. true, center, true center to, like, someone like DeAndre Hunter. But at least in terms of, of scoring, you know, he's been that really second option i think he's scoring more than collins right now if i'm not mistaken yeah he is he is currently second on the team in scoring just ahead of collins which is yeah i would still bet on collins finishing ahead of hunter this season in scoring but the fact that he's done that now for 12 games is impressive on its own right so i don't know i i believe in it i think um the length the confidence i think he's only going to get better honestly i think uh part of his game that he has potential to improve i mean like you said he has like a what a seven I don't know if you said it right just now, but just his length. He's got like a 7'3 or 7'4 wingspan or something. I think he could get better going to the rim. I mean, he should be able to go down and rise up and really not be contested by that many people, especially at his position. So I think, you know, maybe he doesn't shoot 40% from three or 50% from the field, but I, I completely believe that he's a guy who can 
You know, right now he's at 17. I think, you know, a couple of years, he might be giving you like 19 points, seven rebounds. You know, he's got a two assists per game right now. That's probably something he could pick up a little bit. And then, um, like you said, defensively, not necessarily being like you have Cam Reddish, you know, to kind of throw at like a Paul George or a Kawhi or something, but he can compete with this, with someone else, you know, with your second or third option. But uh, and honestly, they they've really put Hunter on number ones this year, and they've yeah, kinda, no, and, they and they kind of let yeah, they they kind of they've kind of let Reddish be the playmaker. And Pearson asked about that today. I know I, I know I shared the audio with you earlier offline, but he got asked about Hunter's defense, sort of sort of broadly speaking, and reference the fact that he's you know it's hard to tell by the numbers because he's been asked to guard these number one guys, and he's not the big, he's not that much of a playmaker still. That was one of the knocks coming into the to the NBA, and rightfully so. But what they want out of him, what they're still getting out of him, at least in theory, is just that guy who who they can put on an island against varied players defensively, who has the strength and the acumen and the technique to stay in front of them and make and make life hard on them. Like you're, you're never going to stop number one options, so it's it's kind of tough to quantify. But they they really do believe in that, and you've seen the way that they've done. It. I mean, people but people keep are always surprised. I always get people in my mentions where he's guarding like Dame Lillard or he's guarding. You know, you mentioned whoever you said earlier, stars. I'll get like, why is it Reddish guarding that guy? And it's like, well, because they they'd rather have Hunter do that, and they'd rather have Reddish kind of play make and play center field, which is, I totally get why that is. Because Cam is a good defender, but it's not like Cam's primary thing is just like being a lockdown guy. He's more of a playmaker. That's just what they are. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, someone like Glenn like Glenn Willis, like you brought up a few minutes ago, would probably be able to attest to this uh, better than me. But it seems to me like. They put Hunter on small guys and Reddish on big guys because Reddish is yep. so quick. Like when he was guarding Kevin Durant, he picked him like four times in two games. And Hunter was kind of on Kyrie and just not necessarily taking the ball from him or blocking a shot, but just giving him a lot of trouble with the length. Yep. And I think, you know, putting him on a Lillard or a McCollum or someone like that, it, um, you know, you're not going to block those guys' shot most of the time. They're, they're in the best players in the NBA. Like they're not going to get their jump shot blocked or, most of the time. So, it's not going to show up in the stat sheet, but just the the wear and tear it can kind of put on you, like just having to go through a guy that's stronger than you, uh, got a foot longer wingspan than you. I think the way they use him, I think is perfect. And like you said, I mean, it's just something that, you know, they kind of have at their disposal whenever they want. And it's something they need because Trey is obviously like the big thing with him uh, on the defensive end, just trying to find where to put him. So having someone who you can throw, at a lead point guard, and then you still have Cam Reddish, you know, to kind of take someone else. You can kind of have Trey on, you know, basically the worst wing out on the court. And, you know, some nights that's a bigger problem than others, but it's definitely good to have, you know, a two-way player like Hunter who can do all those things for you. Yeah, and that's what they've sort of built the roster to do, as we've talked about a million times. But it's coming to fruition here, and Hunter, I think – even the biggest Hunter supporters, I know I've been higher on Hunter than most, I would say. Uh, Glenn has been over the moon about Hunter. I mean, everyone could probably attest that this is still better than anyone could have imagined him being, particularly offensively, this season in year two. So it's going very well, and he's been one of the uh, positive stories of the season. Um, before I let you get out of here, we'll transition to some Collins stuff momentarily. I tweeted out, we, talk, we talked about it earlier with the on-off numbers. The numbers are great with, with Collins on the court. There's been a lot to talk about the Collins-Capella pairing Lloyd Pierce sort of snuck something in there today that was kind of interesting. Um, he revealed on Tuesday that the, that the defensive actions that involve both Collins and Hunter, those two guys, as sort of a bridge here, uh, they have separate 
guidelines and coverages when those guys play in the same coverage compared to everybody else. And I'm not sure why that is. We didn't get like a whole explanation about it, but I thought it was really interesting and sort of fascinating. I'd love to know why that is. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's, it's because they're like sort of like sized and they could switch and do other stuff, do other stuff together. But that's pretty interesting. Anyway, um, Collins has been very good this season, despite not having the kind numbers. So there's this very natural uh, sort of debate between, you know, what kind of impact he's having versus the box score numbers. Because if you look at his just traditional stats, they are down, but his impact numbers are up. And a lot of that's defense, but the Hawks have been better with him on the court and all that stuff. So I don't know. What, what's your takeaway, Ben, with the Collins experience so far? Because obviously everyone, especially national folks, the last few days have been uh, sort of going, going back to the Collins Capella conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, just to be honest, I think they need to get him the ball more so people can stop talking about the, the numbers. But uh, defensively, I think him and Capella, when they are together, I think it's a lot to deal with. And like I said earlier, I think Hunter's usually on the floor, you know, because it's the starting unit most of the time when those guys are together. And then the middle of the game, they'll kind of stagger Collins and Capella. But the beginning of the game, the end of the game, I mean, the Hawks are, are pretty hard to score on. If you don't have three or four good wings, like, you know, you can isolate uh, Trey or even uh, Kevin Herter if you have really, really good uh, playmakers then maybe it's not as much trouble for you to score like Brooklyn, you know, games like that. It was just like a race to 130, it seemed like. But there's a lot of, been a lot of Hawks games where, you know, the defense was kind of better than the offense. And I think that's pretty surprising for a lot of people. And I would say having Collins as kind of a shot-blocking four who can also, like, slide out to the perimeter, um, it's a big advantage because, I mean, he doesn't really have the size to be, like, the kind of rim protector that Capella is. He basically relies on, you know, timing and blocks and it that has typically, you know, led to him being in foul trouble. So I don't know. I, as frustrating, I guess, as it could be for Collins personally, offensively trying to play uh, with another rim runner, I think defensively having an anchor, you know, behind him. Um, I mean, obviously he had Deadman and, and played a lot of four next to Deadman, but Capella's on a little bit of another level than, than Dwayne Deadman. So I think just having like a true like top, I don't know what you want to say, a top 10 or 12 center and Capella and probably top five or six if you only count defense. I think that has just made him so much better kind of in the way that Cam Reddish can roam. He can kind of, you know, guard his man. But at the same time, once people start going to the basket, he's able to, you know, like turn his hips and just kind of like he had four blocks on Monday. And uh, I don't know, he hasn't had many four block games in his career. So I think really the Hawks defense, if they could figure out the offense, with Capella and Collins, and I know that's going to be a challenge because they, um, not that Collins, you know, he can do a little more offensively than Capella. Like he's significantly better uh, from the post, and obviously Capella is not a, a shooting threat. But if they could figure out some sort of balance where Collins is happy and getting, you know, getting his shot, uh, his touches back up from last year, or maybe not all the way there, you know, with a better team, you might not get every shot that you want uh, like you would on a. 21 team um, I don't want to call them a 21 team like it was a full season but you know they were 20 and 47 whatever but uh I think honestly if they could figure out the offense with those two I, I really do like the defense but I don't know if that's possible I just it's, it's gonna be tough yeah I think it's a little bit overblown offensively right now like no one it's not no one's wrong by saying that it's been a little bit clunky it's not it's not maximizing Collins, and that's something that is certainly worth pointing out. They are better with Collins on the court offensively by himself as the primary role threat. 
that was always the case, and we talked about it a lot when the deal happened and throughout the whole hiatus. But now you see it in practice for 12 games or 10 games, however long Capella's been back. And yeah, I mean, I think we all knew this, but it's also just kind of reaffirming for, for people that weren't paying that close of attention that yes, Collins and Capella are not a perfect fit offensively. They, they never were. We talked about it a ton. And that's now definitely the case. Now, we've seen the Hawks, in my mind correctly, staggering them. So they'll take out one of them first, put the other one back in for that guy when they come out, and then play most of the rest of the half and both and both halves with only one of them on the court. Especially right now, without uh, Kong being up to, up to speed, without Gallinari. They're basically just using, I think the last two games in a row, they've just used 48 minutes of either one of them at center. And that's not a bad idea. I think it's a pretty good uh, use of resources right now. But long-term, obviously, you want to have your four and five be able to play together, at least some, offensively. And right now, defensively, it's been so good that it hasn't mattered. But I think it's both true that it's not ideal and it's not a great pairing, and it also can be decent enough to where you can play it and it's not going to be the end of the world. I think people go, like, sort of overreact to the fact that they only had to give up a mid-first-round pick to get to, to get to Capella, and that they sort of plugged the hole there. We talked about that at the time as well, but it was a move to shore up a position, knowing I'm sure the Hawks knew this and that they were not a perfect fit, perfect fit together. I think if you could draw, if you could create a center in a lab to play with John Collins, it would not be Clay Capella. I think everyone knows that, um, including them. But it's just kind of not the way this all works. So I don't know. I've been encouraged by it. A lot of it's because of the defense, like you said. I think Collins is playing kind of full stop the best he's ever played defensively this season. He's been like legitimately like plus on defense, which is not where he was previously. I thought he was better last year, but he's been even better this year. And that helps a lot. But uh, ultimately, we need to see more for sure. But you're going to have to figure out what the approach is going to be offensively because especially right now when Trey is struggling, it becomes even harder to watch that group play on offense because Trey being good allows many sins to happen. And if he's not good, it, it looks even more clunky because you have these spots where Capella is just kind of in the way. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And I think you saw, and I know Minnesota is like without Carl Anthony Towns and Ricky Rubio, it's not, it's a horrible uh, game to like measure like, okay, the Hawks were doing good at this or whatever. And they had a ton of turnovers. So I'm not saying you could take anything really away from that game. But one thing I did notice, and maybe they were just experimenting because, you know, they felt like they had such a whatever, like they were going to be able to pull the game out. But it seemed like Collins is just they're just giving him the ball. Like they're not thinking about it so much. And like, he's dribbling around. He's, he had a couple drop-offs to Capella. I think Capella missed one of them, but like he's an 80% free throw shooter. Just give him the ball and let him try to get there. And if he can't get there, you know, he's not a selfish player that forces all these bad shots. He'll figure out, you know, at least if it's early enough in the shot clock, he'll figure out how to get rid of it and make something happen. So I think, you know, really just giving him the ball and just, I mean, he's good. Just let your good player have the ball a little more. And I think I think that could solve some of it. And I think, like you said, obviously Trey kind of just being better would also, you know, solve some of it. Almost certainly. I mean, that's just kind of <laughs> to bring things full circle from the beginning of this conversation. The offense, you know, it's not this simple, but the offense really kind of goes as Trey goes. It's not an original thought. It's not one that anybody else hasn't already shared. But if Trey Young is the guy he was in the first five games or the guy that he was last season this is going to be a good offense because now they have a lot more talent around him. That includes Collins playing well, even despite the downturn numbers, even Capella, like they're still better off with Capella, even with the clunkiness on offense. 
just because of what they didn't have before. So it's uh, it's all stuff we've discussed, but there you go. Um, last thing before I let you get out of here. What, you sort of mentioned it earlier, but would you change any of your projections after 12 games? I know 12 games is kind of a weird sample size, especially with all the injuries they've had, but, you know... They're five, you know, they're, they're hanging around. It's just one of those things. Uh, they're kind of where you would want to be, I suppose. Like you're in the mix or 13 games, however many games they played. Um, they're kind of just there, but have you changed anything in your mind from preseason or is it too early to like really make calculations? Well, I think the injuries obviously change it just for me more than anything. Cause I, I had the Hawks, I think I was the highest. Uh, I was being pretty optimistic. I had them pegged to go 40 and 32 but i didn't have uh galinari and bogdanovich both being out simultaneously for who knows how long um i was also not aware i don't think anyone was aware that chris dunn was going to be out this long so i think i would back off the 42 now that i know like they're going to be without these guys and then obviously what we've been talking about this whole time even regardless of that i feel like i was a little bit uh too high but I don't want to like per- like just firmly say that because I don't know if the offense would look like this if they had everyone else. So I don't know. I think the injuries more than anything kind of back me off of, you know, I think I'm sorry. I don't know if I said 42 or 40, but I know my projection was 40 and 32. Um I don't know what I just said, but 40 <laughs> and 30 I just I don't get I don't know. I I might have said 42 and 30, I don't know. But 40 and 32 is what I had. If I had to say it right now, I would probably lean closer to like 500 or maybe a game above or a game below just because it's going to be tough. Um, you got the Clippers and the Nets next week and you're down, you know, not necessarily two starters, but two guys that play about 30 minutes a game and Bogdanovich and Gallinari. And I mean, the Clippers and the Nets are like trying to win the title and then you're going to get in. Obviously everyone, you know, if you're a big Hawks fan, you've seen the schedule and uh, you know, it, it's getting tougher. The first 13 games were easier than the next 13. So I, I would probably back off where I was to start the season, but I'm not like out on the Hawks or anything like that. I just, there's people hurt and uh, that's really the biggest part of it. Yeah. I think I'm about where I was at the beginning. Uh, you know, I ended up at, I think 37 and 35, whatever I was preseason. And I'd probably stand by that. I think maybe a touch lower if you had to make me choose just because of the lack of wins so far. It's easier to answer after this week when they have these two games, you know, tomorrow's game, Wednesday's game against Detroit, and they go to Minnesota. Those are very winnable, but like as you said, they have that back-to-back next week with with uh, the Clippers and the Nets. And by the way, this Sunday they have the Bucks on the road, which is about as tough as it gets because the Bucks are really good and that's a road game. And so that three games, that three game stretch is uh, kind of brutal. So we'll we'll learn some more in the next handful of games. It's still so early that, and by the way, this pandemic-riddled season. The results on a nightly basis, I have, to, I have to do power rankings for Dime. It is so hard right now to power rank teams because you'll get a you'll get so many weird results. Like the like Boston losing by 30 to the Knicks on Sunday is one. It's like there's so many of these outlier bizarre results, and the Hawks have a couple of them as well, that it's just kind of hard to figure out what's going on. So more variance, less predictive um, information to go on. It's tough, man, but we'll do what we do, and I think we're kind of on the same page here. Like, it's too early to panic. The Hawks are six and seven; they're hanging around, and uh, it's not a disaster. It's not a light. It's not a top four seed, probably either. And there'll be somewhere where they're supposed to be. I think. Oh yeah, they're gonna be fine. I think. I mean, I don't know. 
if they'll be able to get much higher than the seven seed or anything this year. But I mean, realistically, you know, the the eight seed was where most people had them, and I think they're you know well on track to do that. So at least compete for it. So yeah, competing for it is uh, the first step. All right, Zach. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, you are the proprietor of many things, in addition to being whatever you are, the assistant editor at Peachtree Hoops. You have another venture or two, uh, Hawks Film Room, which I, which I referenced earlier on, and you have a new Patreon, which I would like you to plug right now because I am a patron of it, and you just launched it, I believe, today. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, my Patreon. Um, obviously, you know, most of my Hawks or all my Hawks stuff will still be at Peachtree Hoops, and then the podcast is Hawks Film Room, and there'll be some video clips over there for you guys as well, but... And also, that's not just me. Uh, Glenn Willis and Andrew Kelly have also submitted stuff in the past um, to that page. So, But yeah, my Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash Zach23. If you aren't familiar with Patreon, it's kind of like a self-operating blog where writers can kind of charge um, different price points. You know, like there's a, I have a $4 tier, a $10 tier, and a $20 tier. Basically, you know, you can go to patreon.com slash Zach23 and check out the different perks of each of those tiers. But it's just a place you can find a bunch of different content from me. Uh, I was covering the Falcons, you know, last season before um, the company I was working for kind of folded. But so that's kind of a place for me to continue that. And then I'm also going to do some NBA draft and some general NBA stuff over there. Uh, you'll still have, you know, my all my stuff at Peachtree Hoops with the Hawks. And then I'll still be doing draft stuff there, too, as well. But uh, naturally at Peachtree Hoops, you know, we kind of split up all the prospects and there will be prospects I want to write about that other people are writing about for Peachtree Hoops, etc. So yeah, I mean, you can check out, you know, whatever I'm doing over there. I'm going to try to be pretty regular with it, you know, give people uh, something to read. So yeah, that's uh, patreon.com slash Zach23. That's on my Twitter. Um, I think it's pinned on my Twitter right now and it's in the bio. So my Twitter is at Zhood underscore. Check it out. Check out all that stuff from Zach as well as Peachtree Hoops where uh, we run the show over there with some great stuff from Graham and Wes and too many people to name. Joel, uh, Ryan, Andrew, who have, I, who, have not, who have I not mentioned? Bob, all kinds of people that uh, help shout us. Out, shout out Glenn Willis one more time. Yeah, Glenn, Glenn and Graham. Uh, Graham and Glenn save, save us a lot of time and effort. I'll just say that. Uh, lots of heroic work going on from those two gentlemen. Okay, well... Thank you, Zach, for joining me on the pod. I said this at the earlier before I brought you in, but my new po- my next podcast will be after the game on Wednesday evening into Thursday. So stay tuned, subscribe to this pod, subscribe to all of Zach's content, and we'll see you all next time.